Hey, let's talk about being whole. In the eyes of many people in the ancient and medieval world, to be a ruler, one had to be whole. Wholeness was purity, and to be missing any part of you was to be less than perfect, less than whole. Thus, you were unable to rule. Different cultures in different places followed this rule, most notably in my mind, the Byzantine Emperor Justinian II, whose nose was cut off by his opponents, forcing him to abdicate. Of course, later he put on a golden replacement and took his throne back, and he was less than perfect on several accounts, mostly his tyrannical reign. No big deal. Today's episode explores a representation of that belief, written down by Irish monks. Was it a part of Irish pre-Christian history? I can't say for sure. I haven't found any other cases where it was. But it was part of the story we've inherited from one of Irish mythology's most famous characters. So let's get to it. Previously, on Godacy. An outsider to his people, the only way to fulfill his destiny is for Lu to unite the Tuatha Dé Danann. But to do so, Lu must make peace among the deeply divided people. And, at the former King Nuada's advice, Lu has freed the chief druid of his people, the Dagda, and now goes to take Ogma from bondage. The path forward requires that he put Nuada back on the throne and replace his missing hand, for only then will the Tuatha Dé Danann accept him as their king again. Welcome to Godacy, Episode 13, A Hand of Silver. In the weeks since he had seen Ogma, he had changed little. Still stooped, his strange writing on his wrists and neck were barely glowing in the deep of night, the pale embers of early morn beginning to emerge. There was sadness in this, his resignation, no less than Nawada himself. Ogma could easily break out of there, even with those enchanted chains. Lu did not know where the others were in the darkness, but his part was nigh. He was to get Ogma prepared for freedom. He summoned the magic again, feeling it flow into his core from the land and connected it to the embers, less powerful than before with less fire to manifest through. Ogma, hail. The warrior did not look up. Have you come to taunt me again, Phantom? Who are you? There is no reason for deception now. I am Lu, son of Kian, come to free you from your prison, as I promised when last we met. This gave Ogma a chuckle, echoing off the walls of the pit. Braver souls than you have tried, son of Kian, including your father. I have no doubt he did, but was your brother involved? This gave Ogma a rise. The Dagda is here? He has been freed? How did you manage it? As if to answer, the song of the Blessed Harp of Lantne rose above them, and there came a joyous cry of victory. The Fomorian captors were slain. Ogma's chains broke. The harp puts all things in order, does it not? Ogma considered him, rubbing his wrist. So it does, so long as the order is there to be put in. What is your game, son of Kian? The Fomorians will strike back at us for this. Lu nodded. War was always inevitable, but we must act fast. We have ridden all night from the causeway to get here, and we must at be at my grandfather's place by dawn. Ogma stood, his joints cracking with effort. He began to stretch, his muscles seeming to form back, for the glowing symbols of his body began to show through, glowing more brightly before turning back to their normal full black and blue colors. You must tell me this tale as we head forth. He leapt out of the pit and left the Phantom of Lu there. He watched, amazed at the strength of Ogma. So I will. 
Though Lu tried to steer them to Dian's set's home, the Dagda and Ogma overrode him. If the Fomorians found out about the escape of the two, they would go to Dian's set first. Angus and Medir, rightly it seemed, suggested that the Dagda instead lead them to the far southwest to a grove near the River Lee by the western coast, a land of running water. There beside the grove there was less of a mound than a tunnel, hidden deep under the ground, that they could hide away in and begin the necessary experiments, for this plan had no precedent. All agreed that Dian said and Turian must be informed, and Medir offered to be the messenger. So he left, and it was midday by the time the Dagda, all but having to drag them, led them to the grove. Lu slept hard and woke sore. It was almost evening when the horn sounded, announcing that the others had arrived in haste, in robes of white. Dian Set, Ermid, and Miak, and Gavita too. Medir returned, and a whole host of others, twelve in total. They brought with them additional robes for the Dagda, Angus, and Ogma. Those that Lu did not know he remembered from the Kaili, faces but not names. Turian came with them too. I don't know how you did it, son of Kian, but you must have fate on your side. Lu took it as a compliment and the session began, for these were druids and this was a druid meeting. Rituals were prepared, a calling down of the powers of the land and the sky and the blessings of the Andanashi to give them secrecy and bless the purpose of their meeting. The Dagda then provided a feast from his cauldron of plenty and spoke, for it had been some time since he and Ogma had anything substantial to eat. Manners never entered into how they ate, but who could blame them? At last, the business of the day, or night, perhaps, began. Lou here has done as he has been bid by my wife, the Morrigan. He has freed myself and Ogma with the ultimate goal of placing Nuwata back on the throne. He alone knows where Nuwata is, though he will readily share that information. The important issue is, how do we replace Brez? Turian butted in. By force of arms, of course. The Dagda gave a nod to that. And that would be easy, but then who do we replace him with? We have many a fine candidate, yourself included, Turian, and then Ogma, and your sons, and even Mick. Ermid, too, would make a fine high queen. Turian butted in again. And not your own children? Angus spoke for his father. Neither Dian said or myself would make good kings, I should think. I am too aloof, and he is too proud. Though, Bridget would make a fine queen, the finest queen the Isle could possibly see. And where is she? Dian said interrupted his brother. If she came, Brez would suspect. Her wisdom is a fine thing, but she is needed at Tara. There were no disagreements there. Lu, a guest to the circle and just outside the stone circle that they met within, could only watch, for he was not a druid. Mick then spoke. We must make Nuada whole. Murmurs broke out. How was that possible? Turian shook his head. We have tried that, healer's son. The silver hand you and your father and brother Gavita crafted was not enough. The laws were plain. Lu could not contain himself any longer. Then the silver must be made flesh. The entirety of the circle, men and women, turned to him, staring at him. The Dagda grinned, but Turian glowered, as he always did. Lu continued. You have among you the greatest minds of our people and great magic, the Dagda song, the magic script of Ogma, which I should like to learn. Dian sets healing magics and Mick and Aramid's experimentation. My uncle Gavita's crafting 
Can you not make the silver into flesh, a magic hand that makes Nawada whole in a true sense? There was murmuring again, and Turian joined too, seeing some sense to this. Agma regarded Lou, speaking. Do we have the time? You said we have, what, two days now, son of Kian? Lou nodded. Indeed. Then you too, Lou, must be involved, for you were taught the magic of the land of Talchu, and of Tirnanog, and that will aid us. Combined with your skill at crafting and by the Morrigan's hidden intentions, I can already foresee your hand in this too. Lou felt his cheeks flush, uncertain that he could, but he did not disagree. The Dagda clapped his hands. Then it is decided. Turian and the rest of you, take to your homes as if nothing has happened. When word is put out, we will gather at Tara, and we will supplant Brez and put Nuwada back where he belongs, and then we will go to war. The murmurs were that of agreement. Dian set side, shaking his head. Then we must begin. There was a forge in the secret tunnels, with vents that went up to let things breathe. Gavita started the forge, with greater effort than he had ever had to do at Tara. These were ancient things, the ceramics there broken in places, but there was magic here too, more intense than in most places Lou had been since his return. He felt the magic in his core. The Dagda aided Gavita in relighting the forge, and soon the silver hand was placed within, Gavita managing the heat, about as intense and hot as when burning bronze. As it warmed, Agma found Lou in the corner of the small room, already crowded with the Dagna, Kavita, and Dean set. You keep staring, boy. Lou did not deny it. Your markings, the same ones Kavita puts on his weapons. You created the script, I understand. And you want to know it, hmm? Lou did not deny that, either. Ogum, as it has been called, is a simple system of writing, often on stone or wood. Circles with lines on them, indicating sounds, the letters that are easily understood. A few know them, but they make our work as druids easier. My brother the Dagda helped me, but I was the primary creator. It draws upon the material it marked upon to make the magic more plain. For the magic of ideas is as strong as the magic of the land, and that which you rely upon when you project yourself as a phantom in fire. He gave a laugh at that. What makes the magic of ideas so strong? Ogma considered. He was a round-faced man, his cheeks now flushed with life. There was still a roughness to him with uneven hair from his captivity. If I call upon snow, what comes to mind? How does it fall? How solid is it? Did you think of more than one image, more than one idea? Is fresh snow the same as snow while it is still in the sky, and then the same as melting snow in patches? That is the difference. The world of being is the world of the land, of the Sovereign Queens. There, snow is snow in all of its forms, and it is raw and powerful. The world of ideas is where those differences lie, and how we portray ideas and find nuance. Ogum allows us to navigate the differences and make silver more than silver. The silver needs reshaping, said Gavita, calling for Lou. Get over here and prepare a mold, boy. Now Dian Set began to intercede, explaining to Lou before he began. The hand before was merely a false attachment, a thing that was made to look like a hand, but it did not move. What we need is a functioning hand, one that may carry Nuwada's blade, can make him whole again. Do you understand? We need nimble fingers that can react to the arm's commands. Muscle memory, grandson. Do you understand? Lou gave the original mold from the original hands and thought. I do, grandfather. 
So we are going to use Ogham to make the hand work. Should we not also mark Nawada's arm, the arm that remains, with corresponding Ogham? The Dagda gave a hearty laugh. A perceptive boy. Aramid will likely be collecting herbs for that now and preparing the concoction. Isn't that right, son? Dian Set, looking almost as old as his father, growled approval. Despite the fact that it was Angus who had wronged the Dagda, Dian Set seemed the one scorned by both father and his forever young brother. Perpetually grouchy in all things, he seemed to resent his daughter's role in this, seemed to resent Mick's ideas earlier. He seemed to resent Lou's hand in this. Hand. That gave Lou an idea. Whose hand should this mold be based off of? Dean Set thought for a moment. I believe the original was a cast of Nawada's right hand, but flipped. Lou nodded. That's probably why it didn't work. It wasn't truly a left hand. Here, great-grandfather. Ogma, help me make a mold. Nawada's arm is about as thick as mine. No one objected, but Dean Set wore his discomfort on his face. The mold was made quickly, aided by magic, and soon Gavita poured the silver in it. It was then that Gavita and Ogma got to work, Gavita taking what looked like a needle. Meticulously, he etched on the cooling metal each character explained by Ogma, circular bands on each finger at the joint, on each digit from tip to knuckle, on each folding of the palm, almost a mirror image of Lou's own. The hand was empty on the inside, and before the two pieces were forged together, they etched symbols on the interior as well as the exterior. The symbols would not be visible as individual things, so tightly were they written, save for each one glowed like a weave of ivy down a clay brick wall. The molded silver ran halfway up the forearm, then flaring outward, not awkwardly enough to impede the ability to hold it beside him, but enough for the arm would be comfortable and able to breathe. They set it aside to cool, and moved on to Mick and Aramid's concoction and magic bombs. The liquid was blue, mixed in a mortar by a pestle, a mixture of herbs that Lou had heard of and never spent much time mixing. Aramid was far beyond him in skill, and Mick had come up with a method of application of the tattoos. Soon, he and Ogma began working on which ones to apply to Nuwata, and in which order. Come on, boy, you've studied enough, now continue your lesson said Ogma, not looking at Lou as he sat down beside Mick in the antechamber, creating a drawing of Nawada's remaining forearm on a piece of leather and applying it the circles, then the characters of Ogham upon them. This time it did not glow. It was not done properly, on purpose, as a learning opportunity for Lou. Mick already knew them, he realized, as he collaborated on every step Ogma made. When the meaning of each character clicked at last, Lou began making suggestions himself. Suggestions that his uncle Mick found fascinating in their potentiality and efficiency every time. Ogma, meanwhile, seemed to glower at this, and Lou grew nervous at his strength. He had no weapon still, missing Fragarak. Dean Set promised that they would retrieve his sling, but that was hardly worth mentioning where armed combat was concerned. Even then, Ogma was strong, the strongest of their people. The glare reminded him of the jealousy his grandfather applied to his children's brilliance. It turned to a smile in time, Ogma, a ready teacher. When that was done, it was nightfall, and they had little time. The Dagda gathered them back in a circle, and more food was provided. The other druids, Turian, Angus, and Medir among them, had been making plans of how to gather the clans. It was the chief druid who spoke, the dagda at the center of the circle once more, beside the oak that stood there. 
How will we proceed? Lou, this is your destiny. What ideas do you have? Lou considered for a moment, Turian seeming to grow proud with each passing second Lou spent in thought. Then he revealed his plan. Ogma, the Dagda, Aramid, and Mick will go to the lock where Lou is being held, at the center of the island. They will free Nuada and set his arm right, using the magic Ogma has written, the bomb Aramid has concocted, and the methods of Mick and the uplifting spirit of the Dagda. His great-grandfather gave an approving bellow and a string from his harp. Uncle Gavita and I will go to Tara as normal, with haste from here. Turian, you, my grandfather, and Angus will meet the other clan leaders and prepare for the uprising. This is important. Madir, not seeming to care that he was left out, focused on the martial implications. What do we do with those who defend Brez? They are our kin and must be given a chance to see reason. Brez, meanwhile, we must spare him. His being overthrown will be met with indignity, and there will be skirmishes, I should think. If we kill him, that will incite the Fomorians to rise as the whole host quickly, before we are ready. With Nuwada on the throne, they will try to negotiate terms. They are without honor, but their oath of diplomacy will be kept for the sake of pretense. Madir approved, as did most everyone. Turian begrudgingly seemed to give his approval as well. The Dagda gave each of them a blessing granting them with wisdom to do the right thing when the time called for it, and the hard things, too. When dismissed, Lou went to his aunt and pulled her aside. Do you have more of that concoction, or something similar imbued with magic? Well, I can make you whatever you want, but I only made enough for Nawada. What do you need? Lou considered, not sure what he wanted. I need something to help my speed, help me prepare for what's coming. I'll give it some thought, and once Nuada is on the throne, we will discuss it this again. She smiled and went off, joining the Dagda and Ogma as they prepared to head north. The other clan leaders scattered, heading to their homesteads. Before he left, Dean Set presented Lou with the horse Enbar, glad to see Lou, and Felinus practically jumping over him. Lou was glad to see them both. They would give him the security not even one of his uncle's spears could give him. At last, Gavita and Lou were left. His uncle looked exhausted, older than he ever had, and Lou knew that they would need to rest a moment before they headed onward. They had to reach Tara by morn, and such a journey would be treacherous. With Inbar, at least, they could do it with the only exhaustion being the ride itself. Nephew, if I'd known you coming back would be so exhausting, I would not have wished it. He could not help but laugh. If I'd known it would have been this much work, I wouldn't have come back either. His uncle slapped him on the back as they watched the moon rise, high on the plains. A crescent thing that illuminated the small leaves, their stunted growth showing. I am proud of you. I know you had the look of destiny upon you, but this is something else. I never would have known our people to move so quickly at anything, and without bickering. We'll have time to bicker once Nuada is on the throne. The Sovereign Queen's Noturian is looking for a way to deliver my downfall. You've done him a great injustice, nephew, by taking his sons away. They could help us in the coming war. Lou nodded. But I think we'll see them sooner rather than later. I have faith in their success. I have to. That's how fate works, isn't it? Gavita let the silence fall between them, a restful wind blowing from the north. Tomorrow would make or break Lou's destiny. He only hoped he had thought of everything.
Godacy is written, researched, and produced by me, Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Yeager, who knows enough to make a druid blush with envy. Music by Scott Buckley, whose library can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. You can find us on social media at The Goddessy Podcast, where I occasionally post fun and supplemental information, like art and pop culture threads attached to Goddessy. Be sure to drop a line, and chances are, a phantom of me will appear in your fireplace and probably start yelling at you. You can banish me with a grilled cheese or jerky. If you want to support the show, get the word out by sharing, and be sure to leave a review telling the world what you heard here on your podcast provider of choice. Still want to support the show, you intrepid dog, you? Check out our Patreon, which comes with additional benefits like early access to episodes, additional behind-the-scenes shenanigans, and the potential to vote on future seasons of Goddessy, among other things. Goddessy updates every Monday. See you next week.